0: Good morning, I'm a little bit concerned now, I think that was on the whole time, so <laughs> you were very, very lucky, close call. Well this morning um, we're continuing on in Deuteronomy and we're going to be looking at Deuteronomy chapter 4, um, but you also might just want to take note of what, we're, um, what the sermon's going to be based on next week. Uh, one of the things that we're trying to encourage you to do is to be familiar with the text before each Sunday and some of the upcoming sermons they're going to cover sort of like two or three or four chapters at a time so it's probably not a bad thing for us to to read through and and see what they're all about because obviously it it won't work too well if we try and read four chapters here on a Sunday morning. But this week uh, the text is a little bit more compact we're only covering uh, most of chapter 4 in Deuteronomy verses 1 through to 43 and next week we're going to be looking at chapter 4 verse 44 and it will go through to chapter 6 verse 9 so you might want to note that down and um, have a bit of a look at that this week okay let's pray before we we start Lord we just thank you for your word this morning and Lord we just pray for your spirit to be upon us this morning. Lord, we pray that you quicken things to our hearts. Quite often um, when someone is here sharing a sermon, you, you tend to quicken things that, that aren't even being spoken about. So Lord, we just pray for you, your spirit to do its work through your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so this morning we're going to be covering a number of topics that come up in Deuteronomy chapter 4. And they're all sort of linked together and they all tie in with the last topic, which is actually the title of our sermon this morning, which is... Sorry? Is, is that a bit loud or unique for you, is it? Is it coming through fine? Okay. So uh, the topic is that the Lord is God and there is no other. Now, as we read through Deuteronomy 1.4, we discover that Israel is a unique nation and it stands out from the other nations that are around it and in fact as we'll read in a a little bit of time we'll see that Israel is described as being a great nation however their uniqueness and greatness is not the result of their own might, it is because they worship a unique and powerful God their God is known in Hebrew as Yahweh and what Yahweh translates to in our modern English Bibles is Lord. So it stands for the Lord of the Israelites. So let's read about the Lord and his interaction with his people. Now the setting here is that the people were gathered before Moses and it's not long before they enter into the promised land and he has given to them his final sermon. So we're going to read from um, chapter 4 and verses 1 to 4 to start off with. Now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the judgments which I teach you to observe, that you may live and go in and possess the land which the Lord, the God of your fathers, has given you. You shall not add to the word which I command you, nor take from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God which I command you. Your eyes have seen what the Lord did at Baal, Baal Peor, for the Lord your God has destroyed from among you all the men who followed Baal of Peor. But you who held fast to the Lord your God are alive today, every one of you. Now, what we see right through chapter 4 is how god spoke to the israelites in those days and it's a lot different to how we receive the word of god today we have the scriptures um, which we can read we can study them and we can be taught from them the israelites either heard god speak directly to them or god spoke to moses and then he then he in turn taught God's word to the people. Moses encourages the people to not just hear the word of God, but to observe the word of God. It's that listen and obey thing. As God's people, they need to not just hear God's word, but they need to apply God's word. They need to apply it into the life of their nation, and they need to apply it to their individual daily lives, And as we work through the the book of Deuteronomy, we we see that God covers all those sorts of things. And why should they listen to God and apply his word to their lives? Well, it's there in verse 1. Listen to and observe my word so that you may live and that you may go into the land which the Lord God of your fathers is giving you. It's quite serious stuff. The implication is that if they don't listen and observe, they will not live and they will not enter the land. And that sounds quite harsh, doesn't it? Would God really take away their life and stop them from entering the promised land? Well, yes, that's exactly what happened to most of the previous generation. Moses reminds them of what they had witnessed with their very own eyes at Peor. Some of the Israelite men who had heard God speak and in turn did not apply the word of God to their lives, they defiled themselves by having sexual relations with the local Moabite woman. And they attended the sacrifices to their gods and they feasted with them and they worshipped their gods. And it says here that the Lord their God had destroyed those men who had followed Baal from among the Israelites. They did not live and therefore they could not enter the promised land. Moses reminds them of this and he states that only those who held fast to the Lord were standing there before him on that day. Because they did hear and observe God's word, they were alive and they were about to enter the promised land. And it's interesting that in verse 2, we see that the choice to obey God's word is a take it or leave it choice. They couldn't choose which parts of God's word they wanted to listen to and to observe. You shall not add to the word which I command you, nor take from it. They were not allowed to pick and choose whatever suited them from God's word, they were to obey the whole commandment of the Lord. Now, the application for us here is quite an obvious one. If we hear the words of God, but do not actually apply them, then for us, it's just meaningless words. We need to hear and to observe just as the Israelites were called to do. God's word should be living in us and living through us. The Israelites were told that they need to obey the word of God in order to live and to enter the promised land. (coughs) Is it that vital for us as well? Well, yes, but it's in a different way. Our salvation comes through faith in the one who fulfills the law of Moses. Jesus' sacrifice fulfilled the law of Moses. The Israelites, and nor for that matter, us, could obey the law in its entirety. The law, and not just parts of it, needed to be obeyed so that they may live and so that they could enter the promised land. The blood of Christ fulfilled the requirements of the law completely. Through our faith in Jesus Christ and not through our own efforts to obey God's word, the entire law has been fulfilled and we have been saved. Now in the next few verses, Moses talks to them about how they are going to be a great nation. They're going to be an example to the other nations around them. And in Deuteronomy, we find ourselves at the beginning of one of Israel's greatest moments. They are on the cusp of entering into the promised land. After being in the desert for 40 years, not only will they enter the land, but they will conquer it. And they will occupy it and they will take possession of it. And as we will read in a moment, they are described as, and they will be recognised as, a great nation. So why are they standing there as a great nation? Is it because they have a great army? Is it because they are the good guys, and the good guys always win? Is it the way in which they govern themselves, Is that they set themselves up in in such a way that makes them great. Maybe it's because they are an inherently moral people. Well, no, it's none of those things. So let's read verses 5 to 8 and see what it is that makes them a great nation. Look, I now teach you these decrees and regulations just as the Lord my God commanded me so that you may obey them in the land you are about to enter and occupy. Obey them completely, and you will display your wisdom and intelligence among the surrounding nations. When they hear all these decrees, they will exclaim, How wise and prudent are the people of this great nation! For what great nation has a God as near to them as the Lord our God is near to us whenever we call on him? And what great nation has decrees and regulations as righteous and fair as this body of instructions that I am giving you today? So, they are not a great nation because of anything that they have done or achieved or that they are. It is because God is near to them. No other nation has a God that is as near to them as the Lord is to Israel. He is so near that they can call on him and no other nation has heard the voice of God. And again we see that there is a part for the Israelites to play. I teach you these decrees and regulations so that you may obey them, obey them in the promised land and in doing so you will display your wisdom and intelligence among the surrounding nations. So what would happen then? Well, the surrounding nations would stand up and they would notice how wise the Israelites are and how they are indeed a people of a great nation. They would be an example to the surrounding world and they would be ambassadors for the Lord. Now this is a fulfilment of a promise that God gave to Abraham back in Genesis 12 verse 2. And this is what God promised Abraham. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. So, God promised Abraham that his descendants would become a great nation, and they would be an example to those around them. And this promise is part of what is known as the Abrahamic covenant. And I will talk a little bit more about different covenants in a few moments. The nation of Israel was a great nation because the Lord was near to them and when they obeyed the word of the Lord they were God's example amongst the nations. So what can we draw from this? Well, like Israel, we too are to be an example to those around us. We are God's ambassadors now and as such we are to live lives that display this. There is however some subtle differences to how the nation of Israel was an example to its surrounding nations and how we as a modern day people of God are to present God to the world around us. And it's a different way that was placed was put in place by Jesus. You see Israel was called to separate itself from the nations around it. The people of God comprised of the Israelites and the other people who were adopted into their culture. They were to be located at one place, which is the Promised Land, uh, which later became Israel. And the presence of God was among them. But from this, later on, Jesus changed everything. And among the things he changed was how we are to relate to the people who are not yet God's people. And... Um, Jesus gives us that, that great commandment, doesn't he? That's in Matthew chapter 28. Therefore go, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age so it's a bit more of an engaging action the word is go go into all the nations it's not stay and I'll bring the lost through the doors and who will we go to and make disciples of all the nations now if we remember back to our studies of Revelation uh, we'll remember that the people of God will be from every nation and tribe and people and language so The promise to Abraham will stand. I will make you into a great nation. And it's a promise that is fulfilled both in Israel and in the church. And of course we have a part to play in this. In that we are to be an example. And we are to go. Sadly too many Christians and Christian organisations are separating themselves from the world around them. They are setting themselves apart and are expecting the world to come to them and then they will mould them into the version of God's people that they think they should be but Jesus said he didn't say stay he said go now there's a couple of quick points on witnessing to those around us uh, that we should take note of and we're probably all familiar with these but let's just um, look at them again like Israel we are indeed to live lives that are a witness to the fact that we are God's people. So Israel was an example of God's people and of God to the nations around them, and we're to be the same. As Christians who have the Spirit of God within us, we should naturally be displaying the fruits of the Spirit. We should be displaying those fruits as we share with others, and we should be displaying those fruits in our general conduct. The two go hand in hand. And secondly, the message we are to go with is the gospel. Christ died for our sins, and God raised him from the dead so that we may be forgiven and saved. So God tells the Israelites that they will be a great nation. But then he comes to them, and Moses gives them some warnings. And he warns them about a couple of pitfalls that can hinder them from getting there. Now there are three times throughout Deuteronomy 4 where God warns the people through Moses. And depending on the version Bible you have, it it might say take heed, it might say beware or be careful of. And he warns them of two different traps that they can fall into. Now the first trap that they can fall into is they can forget the covenant that they made with God. And we'll read about that in um, verses 9 to 14. Uh, We're just going to read verses 9 and 10 now. But watch out. Be careful never to forget what you yourself have seen. Do not let these memories escape from your mind as long as you live. And be sure to pass them on to your children and grandchildren. Never forget the day when you stood before the Lord your God at Mount Sinai where he told me, summon the people before me and I will personally instruct them. Then they will learn to fear me as long as they live and they will teach their children to fear me also. God is warning the Israelites to not forget what they have witnessed with their own eyes. And he is specifically reminding them to not forget what took place at Mount Sinai. So what are we talking about here? What happened at Mount Sinai? Well, this is the event which took place many years earlier when the Israelites stood before God at Mount Sinai. And flames came out of the mountain and they shot into the sky and the Lord spoke to them from the heart of the fire. They heard his words, they heard his voice, but they did not see his form. And they saw this incredible event take place. So how could they possibly forget about that? Well, the significance of what took place at Mount Sinai was not so much the signs and wonders, though they were significant in displaying God's awesomeness. What God was warning them to remember was the agreement that they had entered into with him at Mount Sinai. They had entered into a covenant with them, And we'll read about that in verses 13 to 14. He proclaimed his covenant, the ten commandments, which he commanded you to keep, and which he wrote on two stone tablets. It was at that time that the Lord commanded me to teach you his decrees and regulations so you would obey them in the land you were about to enter and occupy. God was warning them to remember the covenant. Now this covenant is commonly referred to as the Mosaic Covenant or it's also known as the Old Covenant. And this covenant was an agreement between God and the Israelites. It was based on the Ten Commandments and upon God's law as given to Moses at Mount Sinai. God gave the law and the Ten Commandments and the Israelites had agreed to be obedient to his law. All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. That was the exclamation of the Israelites back in Exodus 19 when they received the law. They had confirmed their commitment to this agreement with God. It was a conditional agreement. If Israel is obedient to this covenant, God would bless them. If they were disobedient to the covenant, God would punish them. And we see that unfolding throughout the Old Testament history. There were times of blessings and there was times of punishment. Now, the significance of the Mosaic Covenant to the Israelites was that it served to set them apart from the other nations as God's chosen people. They were to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. They were to be God's light in a dark world. Everyone around them would know that they worshipped the Lord and that the Lord was their God. So Moses reminded them of the importance of remembering what they had agreed to at Mount Sinai. In fact, he warns them, don't forget about it. And part of this warning is to impress upon them the importance of making sure that the next generation also knows the significance of this covenant. And be sure to pass them on to your children and grandchildren. You were the eyewitnesses and the signatories to this historic and vitally significant covenant, make sure that those who follow you know about it and adhere to it also. So, what does all of this mean to us? Well, clearly as 21st century Christians, we are not directly part of the Mosaic covenant. This is a bilateral agreement, which means it's between two parties, and it was between God and the nation of ancient Israel and their descendants. So we cannot directly apply the Mosaic Covenant and all of its conditions to our Christian walk. However, we should not forget the covenant with God that we do live under. And what's more, the New Covenant is tied into the Old Covenant. It's all linked together. You see, what the Mosaic Law revealed, and this happened right throughout Israel's history, it revealed to the people their sinfulness, and their need for a saviour. It points the way to the coming of Christ. And, you know, there wasn't a problem with the law itself. The law is holy and given by a holy God, but the law had no power to give the people new life. And the people were not able to obey the law perfectly. They couldn't fulfil their end of the deal. They were sinful and they needed a saviour. And that is the link between the old covenant and the new covenant, Jesus. Now, as you remember, Jesus claims that he came not to abolish the law of Moses, but to fulfill it. And how does Jesus fulfill the law and begin a new covenant? Well, we're reminded of this each time that we take communion. After the supper, he took another cup of wine and said, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people. An agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. And that's from Luke chapter 22, verse 20. So Jesus paid the price once and for all through his death on the cross. This new agreement between God and his people was confirmed by his blood and was poured out as a sacrifice for them. God's people needed a saviour and Christ became that saviour. Paul also talks of this transition from the old agreement to the new in his letter to the Galatians. And this is from Galatians chapter, chapter 3 and looking at verses 24 and 25. Let me put it another way. The law was your guardian until Christ came. It protected us until we could be made right with God through faith. And now that the way of faith has come, we no longer need the law as our guardian. You see, salvation is a faith thing. It's not a law-keeping thing. And it's always been that way. If we remember Abraham, Abraham was counted as righteous because of his faith. Reading on in Galatians chapter 3, Paul continues, uh, verses 26 to 29, For you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And now that you belong to Christ... You are the true children of Abraham. You are his heirs and God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. So God's promise to Abraham still stands. So it's important for us to remember the old covenant because it reveals that we are sinful and that we need a saviour. And we are to remember that Jesus has ushered in a new covenant through his sacrifice which fulfilled the requirements of the law and dealt with the issue of our sinfulness. We are saved through our faith in Jesus. So that was the first warning. Remember the covenant. The the other warning that God gives the Israelites is to do with idolatry. And he warns them not to break the covenant that they have made by making an idol of any form. And this warning is given twice uh, in verses 15 and verses 23. We're going to read uh, verses 15 right through to 24. But be very careful. You did not see the Lord's form on the day he spoke to you from the heart of the fire at Mount Sinai. So do not corrupt yourselves by making an idol in any form, whether, whether of a man or a woman, An animal on the ground, a bird in the sky, a small animal that scurries along the ground, or a fish in the deepest sea. And when you look up into the sky and see the sun, the moon and the stars, all the forces of heaven, don't be seduced into worshipping them. The Lord your God gave them to all the peoples of the earth. Uh, Now we come to verse 20, and this uh, verse will come up. Uh, we'll come back to this in a moment. And in verse 20, God um, reminds them that he has been merciful and shown his grace to the Israelites in the past when he took them out of Egypt. So verse 20, Remember that the Lord rescued you from the iron-smelting furnace of Egypt in order to make you his very own people in his special possession, which is what you are today. But the Lord was angry with me. This is Moses talking of himself. But the Lord was angry with me because of you. He vowed that I would not cross the Jordan River into the good land the Lord your God has given you as your special possession. You will cross the Jordan to occupy the land, but I will not. Instead, I will die here on the east side of the river. So be careful. So there's that warning again, verse 23. So be careful not to break the covenant The Lord your God has made with you. Do not make idols in any shape or form. For the Lord your God has forbidden this. The Lord your God is a devouring fire, he is a jealous God. Now, this second warning is related to the first warning. Remember the covenant and, specifically, remember the part about not having idols. This is going to be a big trap for you. This is going to be a big temptation. So, this is why God and Moses is emphasizing this. And remember back to Exodus 24, uh, sorry, Exodus chapter 20, verse 4. Uh, this is where this commandment came from amongst the Ten Commandments. You must not make for yourself an idol of any kind or an image of anything in the heavens or on the earth or in the sea. So again, God reminds the Israelites of the Mount Sinai experience. And his point is this. They heard the word of God, but they did not see God. They heard God speak, they heard his voice, but they did not know what God looked like. And Moses tells them that the reason why God is unseen is that if they did see him, they would act corruptly and they would then try to make for themselves an image of God. And what would that image be? Well, they would downgrade God into something of this world, the likeness of a male or a female, the likeness of an animal. And then Moses continues this warning of idolatry do not look to the heavens and worship the moons and stars. God is an unseen God who is not to be made into the image or the likeness of anything within man's understanding. He cannot be represented by anything on earth or in heaven. God is above creation. He is the creator. Now as they are standing there, they are probably remembering back to the golden calf. They already had a history of falling into the trap of idolatry. They did make an earthly image and they did say, hey, this is our God. So they had a history of that. Now, idolatry is a trap that can still plague and ensnare us today. Now, it might not be in the traditional form of an idol. I mean, I can't imagine any of us here uh, going home, putting something there and saying, hey, that's my God, that's what saved me. But nonetheless, we can still be trapped by idolatry in a couple of ways. Firstly, we can at times box God into a likeness that we can deal with. We mould him into something that suits us and fits into our little world. So God becomes God according to Mike. Or he becomes God according to Jim. And the danger is that we live as if God is this perceived image that we have made him into. And then we also portray that tainted image to others. Now, of course, we will always have our own perception of God and we, we can't avoid that. But we should always remember that God is far greater than our perception. He is far greater than our understanding. He is far greater than us. And the most reliable source that we have to turn to to find out what God is like is his word. Clearly, God is an unseen God and he is unseen for a reason. The Israelites knew God through his word. He spoke to them either Directly or through Moses, who would later, um, who would, and then later on, he spoke to them through the prophets. And it's the same for us. If we want to know God and Christ better, we turn to his word. And that's the only place where we can find a correct image of him. We should be pointing others to his word so that they can get to know him better as well. We may be the ambassadors but in here is the real deal now of course there is a more common form of idolatry that we can fall into and we've probably covered this quite a few times through sermons and studies and, and our own um, private times it occurs when we turn something into an idol we are at risk of doing this all the time someone once said that an idol is anything that takes the place of God and I guess there's some truth to that isn't there Sometimes we tend to rely on things other than God to rescue us and to sustain us. And we all know what those sorts of things can be. It could be other people, it could be wealth, it could be career, it could be ideologies, it could even be things like our ministry. These things can become like idols to us. We place these things above God or we place more importance in them than God and we too can fall into that trap. Now, uh, looking back to verse 20, in verse 20, Moses gets the Israelites to look back at God's mercy in their past. He reminds the Israelites of how God had demonstrated his mercy and grace towards them, and he did this by rescuing them from what is described as the iron-smelting furnace of Egypt. He rescued them so that they might be his very own people. And in the next few verses, Moses points to the future, when God will once again demonstrate his mercy and his grace to Israel, and will once again rescue them, even after they have fallen under his judgment and his punishment. And we know with hindsight, and we've been able to read uh, Scripture, the, the history of Israel, And and what Moses alludes to in the next few verses is that sadly the descendants of those standing there that day will actually disobey the word of God, they will forget the covenant that they were bound to, and they will fall into the trap of idolatry. And as they go about to misrepresent God, they will no longer be recognised as the great nation that they were called to be. In fact, Israel in time would be punished for their disobedience and they would be destroyed and scattered amongst the nations and few would survive. And why does this happen? Well, verse 24 gives us the answer and it's one of those verses that stick out to us, doesn't it? It says, for the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. So, What what does that mean? Well it means that God wants what should only belong to him, and God's people only belong to him because he rescued them. He does not want them giving themselves over to another. Bial of Peor did not rescue them from Egypt. God alone showed them mercy. God alone rescued them from Egypt, and they belong to God alone. That is why they are urged to remember the covenant and why so much emphasis is placed on the trap of idolatry. That is why when the descendants of Israel do forget who God is and do place other gods and idols in his place, they break their covenant agreement and they come under God's judgment and punishment. But God is not just a jealous God, he is also a merciful God. And he wants his people to seek him earnestly. God would not forget them. He would show their descendants his mercy. um, And we find that in verses 29 to 31 of chapter 4. We see how the people will once again seek the Lord and he would again show his mercy and rescue them. Uh, Verse 29. But from there you will seek the Lord your God and you will find him if you seek him with all your heart and with all your soul when you are in distress and all these things come upon you in the latter days when you turn to the Lord your God and obey his voice for the Lord your God is a merciful God he will not forsake you nor destroy you nor forget the covenant of your fathers which he swore to them now as I have already alluded to this morning God's ultimate mercy and grace comes in fruition or comes to fruition in Jesus. When we consider idolatry and remember God's mercy, we should be constantly asking ourselves, is God number one in all that I do? Do I live as if I belong to God or are there idols and other gods getting in the way? Now the good news is the same as it is for the Israelites. God is a God of mercy. Turn to him and seek him. Now everything that we've covered this morning comes back to the fact that the Lord is God. He is not just a God. He is the only God. The one true God who is over all and above all. There is none like him. We're going to read uh, Verses 32 through to 40. Now search all of history, from the time God created people on the earth until now, and search from one end of the heavens to the other. Has anything as great as this ever been seen or heard before? Has any nation ever heard the voice of God speaking from fire as you did and survived? Has any other God dared to take a nation from himself out of another nation by means of trials, miraculous signs, wonders, war, a strong hand, a powerful arm, and terrifying acts? Yet that is what the Lord your God did for you in Egypt right before your eyes. He showed you these things so you would know so that you would know that the Lord is God and there is no other. He let you hear his voice from heaven, so he could instruct you. He let you see his great fire here on earth, so he could speak to you from it. Because he loved your ancestors, he chose to bless their descendants, and he personally brought you out of Egypt with a great display of power. He drove out nations far greater than you, so he could bring you in and give you their land, as your special possession, as it is today. So, remember, remember this, and keep it firmly in mind. The Lord is God both in heaven and on earth, and there is no other. If you obey all the decrees and commands I am giving you today, all will be well with you and your children. I am giving you these instructions, so you will enjoy a long life in the land The Lord your God is giving you for all time. The Lord alone is God. And this is the great rallying rallying cry of Deuteronomy. The Lord alone is God. There is no other like him. Why should they listen and observe his word? Well, it's because he is God and there is no other. Why are they a great nation? It's because he is God and he is near to them. Why should they remember the covenant and stay away from idolatry? Because the Lord is God. He is the only God. He alone had rescued them from Egypt. And how can they be confident that they can experience his grace in the future? It's because he is God, a merciful God. He had rescued them from Egypt by his powerful arm. He spoke to them out of the fire. No other nation could boast of that. Because of this, they know that they can trust him and that they should obey him. We too need to remember how great our God is. The same God that spoke through Moses that day, three and a half thousand years ago, in a place located on the other side of the world from us, is the same great God that we serve today we are also reminded of our need to trust him and to obey him. Let's close with verse 39. So remember this and keep it firmly in mind. The Lord is God both in heaven and on earth, and there is no other. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you for your word this morning. Lord, we just thank you that we can come to your word and some of these events and these things that we read about, they took place a long, long time ago in, in what seems like a different world from what we are. But Lord, you are at the centre of those things. And Lord, it is you that we learn about through these things. Father, we just uh, pray for you uh, those things that you've quickened to us this morning. Lord, things through your word. Lord, may we take them to heart. May us we we go forward this week may we remember that you are indeed our god you are the lord and there is none other like you and lord may we take these things on board and lord just desire to trust in you know that we can lean on you that we can trust you to to, to take us through anything that we are facing or any situation and lord pray we pray that we are encouraged to obey your word to obey where you are leading us, and and your promptings, Lord. Lord, I pray for everybody here this morning. Lord, I just thank you that you've gathered us here this morning. We pray that our fellowship will continue in your name. And Lord, I just pray that you're with us through the the weeks to come and, and just bless us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.